The Lord bless you, my dear brothers and sisters. I'm here in a conference room. I'd rather be with you in person, but God is sovereign, and we gladly are under his rule and direction. So I'm here in a conference room, pre-recording this message, not just to you, but for you. And although I can't see you, yet inwardly I have a sense that I'm with you in the Lord and through the Lord. And I would like to share these messages with you, mainly in the way of a brother having fellowship, conversation in the Spirit, with you all. And as always and as necessary, I turn to the Lord and open to the Lord concerning his leading about what should be the general subject. And I did not make a quick decision. I've been learning that. Wait on the Lord even if you have a feeling at first that might not be the final leading. And so once again, our faithful God gave me a definite direction to present to you in six messages various aspects of what the New Testament calls the ministry of reconciliation. And because this word reconciliation is central to everything in this conference, I want to briefly describe or try to define what we mean by reconcile. And reconciliation. Well, when two people have an argument or in some way they even fight, they are, to say the least, far away from each other. There's no way they can express positive feelings or even talk to one another. So something needs to happen to deal with the cause of the enmity, of the division, so that they will have peace and be one. So to reconcile is to bring two parties together so they can be one and at peace. And this applies to God. We will see when we read some verses. And we need to be very clear. There is no need for God to be reconciled to us. God has never done anything wrong. He cannot. He is always righteous and true and faithful 
and accurate. But on our side, we will see something happened that actually made us enemies of God. So reconciliation is the condition between two or more parties, in our case, God and us. These two parties are now at peace. They are enjoying oneness in their relationship. In Second Corinthians, a book on the ministry in the New Testament, we read of three aspects of the New Testament ministry carried out by the apostles and all of us today. We're told in 2 Corinthians 3, it is the ministry of the Spirit. The all-inclusive, life-giving Spirit is being dispensed into us. Then second, this is the ministry of righteousness. And in 2 Corinthians, this righteousness refers to Christ who is our righteousness, becoming not only the objective righteousness covering us, but the subjective righteousness built into our being so that by being one with the Spirit, we express Christ with his subject, with the subjective righteousness that is the Christ living in us. And then third, there is the ministry of reconciliation. And the six messages in this conference will be on this, this subject. And so we will take some steps gradually to show why we need reconciliation, what Christ did to bring us back to God, to reconcile us to God. Then we will see the results of this reconciliation. And then we will learn something surprising, that as believers, we are only halfway reconciled to God. There's a deeper kind of reconciliation that we all need. Even as I speak, I need this, we all need this. And we will concentrate on that later and then show the marvelous results of that, making us one with God. And then we will see what the ministry of reconciliation is in relation to our gospel preaching today and our caring for one another today. And before I take some time to read a number of verses on reconciliation, I want to now share 
but has been in God's heart toward us and still is in his heart toward us. We all know God created us in his image and according to his likeness. And the image of God is Christ, we know from Colossians and 2 Corinthians. So we were created in the image of Christ to express him. And also we know from Genesis we were created to be vessels containing God. God created us in this way because it is the desire of his heart to make the human beings he created one with him and to make himself one with them. This is God's heart right now as I speak. This is his heart toward us. He wants to make himself one with us. And he wants to make us absolutely, completely one with him. In order to make himself one with us, God came in Christ, the Son of God, to bring God into man. Then through his death and resurrection, Christ brought man into God. So we begin with something wonderfully positive. God's heart, the desire of his heart. And I was, I had some sense to look up into a book called The Ten Great Critical Ones for the Building Up of the Body of Christ. I just seem to remember something here. So I looked it up. I'd like to read from the outline of message one and a little bit of one of the printed messages. And this speaks of God's heart's desire to make us the same as he is in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. This is still the desire of his heart to make us the same as he is in life and nature. But this requires something else also in God's heart, and that is to make himself one with us and to make us one with him. And in this way, God, not in himself but in us, is enlarged and expanded to our being his corporate expression. And then in chapter 1, uh, under the subtitle, One God, One Economy, there is a paragraph which, in which we have Brother Lee's, I think I, I remember right, his highest 
and final definition of God's eternal economy according to his heart's desire. Now I'm reading. According to his heart's desire, God made his eternal economy. Okay? And God's eternal economy is to make man the same as he is in life and nature, but not in the Godhead, and to make himself one with man, and man one with him, thus to be enlarged and expanded in his expression, that all his divine attributes may be expressed in human virtues. This is God's economy issuing from the desire of God's heart and it carries out God's eternal purpose to have this kind of oneness. Well, why then do we need reconciliation? Well, there is an enemy in the universe. Not just simply an evil angel, a rebellious angel, now known as Satan, the devil, he is the enemy of God. He not only rebelled against God and left God to build up his own kingdom, he is an enemy, an aggressive enemy, attacking. But there's no way this enemy, Satan, the devil, can attack God directly. So when God became man, the God-man Jesus, the enemy attacked him, but our Lord Jesus destroyed him on the cross. But this evil one, the enemy of God, injected into us through Adam his sinful nature. Men not only disobeyed God's commandment, they took in an element, the element of the being of God's enemy that brought in sin and death and rebellion and lawlessness and actually and ultimately made us enemies of God. So now what will God do? He created us for his purpose, his economy, the desire of his heart. Then look at us, the earth is filled with enemies. 
Well, our wise God, long before this happened in space and time, he knew this would happen and prepared a way for us to be reconciled to God, brought back into harmony and oneness and peace with the triune God. Now, I want to read with you some important verses. And then we can go through the outline. In English, it's just slightly more than one page. The messages will not be very long, maybe just slightly more than an hour altogether. But that's secondary. The main thing is we get the crucial points. So I begin with Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if we, being enemies, were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more we will be saved in his life, having been reconciled. So sinners need to be forgiven. We all are thankful to the Lord and praise the Lord and express our love for the Lord because he died for our sins. He bore his sins on, the bo- on his body when he was on the cross. But enemies do not need forgiveness. They need reconciliation. Something has to happen to deal with the cause of their being enemies and to make them one with God and to have peace with God. And we know from Romans uh, 5.10 that being saved in life is based on our having received the reconciliation. We receive it. We don't do it. We can't. We have received justification by grace through faith. We receive Christ as our righteousness. We have received eternal life, which is Christ himself. And now we see we have received reconciliation. We will see in message two what this involves. And then I now turn to Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 20 and 22. Well, I should begin with verse 19 to give us the background. For in him, that him is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile 
all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether the things on this earth or the things in the heavens. Well, here we see reconciliation eventually involves all things, all things. Then in verse 22, we read this. He now has reconciled in the body. No, sorry, verse 21. I need to go on. 21 and 22. And you, though once alienated and enemies in your mind because of your evil works, he, Christ, now has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and without blemish and without reproach before him, before God. So we see that all things need to be reconciled because of the scope, the extent of the satanic rebellion. And we were once alienated. We're not only separated, it's a hostile kind of separation. And we were enemies, especially in our mind. And today, do I take a minute or two just to see some certain people on the TV news? Their minds, their enemies in the minds. Just the anti-God mind is filling the country where I live. But we were all enemies. But Christ reconciled through his death on the cross. And we will see shortly in message one on the two steps of reconciliation. That first we will be brought back to God in a kind of objective way. Everything is settled. We have peace with him. We can be in his presence. He can make himself known to us, communicate with us. But there are many things in our being still from which we need to be saved. Romans 5.10 Much more we need to be saved so that more and more our whole being is one with God. And eventually, the Lord will present us to God holy. That's the same as God in nature. And without blemish, no defect, nothing negative. And without reproach, nothing that would require God to be unhappy or disgusted or have to judge before him. 
And now I turn to Ephesians, where we see another aspect of this reconciliation. In chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Verse 16 is the key verse, but we need the background. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have become near in the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made both one, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, and has broken down the middle wall of partition, the enmity, abolishing in his flesh the law of the commandments in ordinances, that he might create the two in himself into one new man, so making peace. Now here's the point. And might reconcile both in one body to God through the cross, having slain the enmity by it. So here we see, and let's consider this carefully, please. Here we need to see a particular aspect of reconciliation. We are not only personally reconciled to God, but we are reconciled with one another in Christ, to God and for God. In the verses we read, we learn that there was enmity, even hatred, all kinds of negative feelings between Jews and Gentiles. To say the least, they could not get along on both sides. But God's goal is to have the one body of Christ, that is the one new man, including every kind of people on the earth, Jews and Gentiles and every nation. So we need to be reconciled with one another in Christ. Just look at the world situation today. How much hatred leading to violence there is between nations, between people with different identities in a country like in the U.S. And we can apply this to our experience as Christians. The enemy, in many ways, tried to take over the entire nation of Brazil and all of South America to build up a counterfeit of the body of Christ, a gigantic hierarchy, an organization with an authoritarian 
person on the top. And now the Lord in recent years has been recovering his recovery. And so we ourselves need to be reconciled from all the negative things that came in to cause discord among us. Because we need to be one body, one new man. To say this in a brief way, we need to be one with God through Christ and one with one another in Christ. So we are all reconciled to God and reconciled to one another in Christ, to God and for God. And then now I read the verses that are in the scripture reading and the outline, and this will lead us into the outline and message one, the two steps of reconciliation. And this may be uh, a new thought to many, or some among us might have heard a little bit about this. So I'll do my best by the Lord's grace and blessing to make this clear. There are two steps of reconciliation. And we see these two steps in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. But once again, I want to begin with verse before that, verse 18. But all things are out from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So here we have our general subject, the ministry of reconciliation. We will see God in Christ has given to us, you and me, Believe it or not, you, not just me and some brothers, us, the ministry of reconciliation. Now we see the first and second step, namely that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not accounting their offenses to them and has put in us the word of reconciliation. So what is being reconciled to God? That is, who are being reconciled to God here? The world. And the world here means all the people living in the the fall. He's not reconciling the world of Satan's system to God. No, that must be judged and destroyed. But God so loved the world, that is all the fallen human beings. And so, 
the first step of reconciliation is that the unbelievers learn that Christ died for us and has been raised from the dead so that God can forgive us our sins and we can be at peace with God with the assurance that we're born of God, we are children of God, we're eternally saved, our sins have been forgiven. So as we read in Romans 5, we have peace toward God. This is the first step. And all of us and all of you in this conference that have been saved, have been born of God, you and I, we have all been reconciled to God in the first step. But before I read verse 20, please remember something. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. So this next verse, what Paul says, he's speaking to the believers, to the brothers and sisters, to the saints in Corinth who were meeting as the church in Corinth. On behalf of Christ then, we are ambassadors. As God entreats you through us, we beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I want to read this again. This is the key verse, really, for the entire conference. I encourage you to pray over it. Read, pray, and pray, read. On behalf of Christ, Paul is representing Christ. We are ambassadors. We represent God in his kingdom, in his government. And God is entreating you through us, not commanding, but appealing, longing, encouraging you, entreating you. And then Paul says, Now we, on behalf of Christ, we beseech you, not demand, not command, we call out to you, be reconciled. To God. Is it not clear from this verse that the saints in Corinth, probably all of them, although they had been reconciled to God in the first step by having their sins forgiven, they still need to be reconciled to God. Paul is telling the Christians in Corinth, be reconciled to God. 
Paul was one who had been fully, completely reconciled to God in every way. He was absolutely one with God in Christ. And God in Christ was one with him. He had been fully reconciled. Because of this, he had the discernment of the needs among everyone on the earth. Those who are not yet believers, who have not yet repented for the kingdom, who have confessed their sins and believed in the Lord and have been saved. He preaches the gospel of peace to them. Be reconciled to God by having your sins forgiven. But then when he speaks to the believers, he's aware their behavior, even the way many were treating him and not properly realizing who this Apostle Paul really was before God, Paul was clear, subjectively, inwardly, They are still enemies in certain ways. This is just the fact. Our natural life is an enemy. Our flesh is an enemy. Our self is a big enemy. And this is keeping us away from really being in the Holy of Holies, living in the Lord's presence, being built up together in complete oneness. So there's the need for all the believers to be reconciled to God in the second step. (coughs) 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 Just some phlegm in my throat. Nothing serious, just a little troubling. Now we can, I believe, learn something more from this outline. And the outline, plus the verses that I read with you, will be the foundation for the following five messages. The title again, The Two Steps of Reconciliation. Okay, Roman 1. The Ministry of Reconciliation is to bring us back to God fully, thoroughly, completely, and entirely. So as I read this with you, I'm not being subjective. I'm not analyzing myself. But I still need more reconciliation. To be able to say personally, I am fully, thoroughly, completely, and entirely brought back to God. Even as I'm presenting these messages, I'm aware I also need more reconciliation. 
In a sense, I'm speaking to myself first. Then the subpoints A and B give us more light. The ministry of reconciliation is not merely to bring sinners back to God, but even the more to bring believers absolutely into God. Do you see the difference here? First, we are brought back to God. Now we can be with him in Christ. And he in Christ can be with us. But God wants us to be brought absolutely into God, into him. In John 14, 20, the Lord Jesus said, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. So we are in the Lord right now. And the Lord is in the Father right now. This means as those who are in Christ who is in the Father, we are in God the Father by being in Christ. And we know from John 14, 9 and 10, the Father is in Christ the Son. So the Father is in Christ and Christ is in us. So this is God in Christ in us. So we all need to realize in the light and love and life of our wonderful triune God, God wants us to be absolutely brought into him. What a future we have. B, until we are wholly one with the Lord, being in him and allowing him to be in us absolutely, we will need the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, until we will reach this goal, we will. We know from Ephesians 4, Paul says, we will all arrive at a full-grown man. I want to arrive during my lifetime while I'm here with you on the earth. I don't want to arrive during the kingdom age. We need to be wholly one with the Lord. And that involves being in him and allowing him to be in us absolutely. So our will is involved here. We are willing for the Lord to be in us absolutely. Would you, even now, inwardly, would you pray for this? To tell the Lord, Lord, I want to allow you 
to be in me, absolutely. Please remove the things that are in the way that hinder you. So because we are not yet wholly one with the Lord, we still need the ministry of reconciliation. And only the Spirit can convince you that you need this. I don't try to persuade anyone. We don't debate things to try to get our point across. I just declare the truth. And it's a mercy for us to recognize our need and to agree with God's way to meet our need. Roman 2, two steps are required for us to be fully reconciled to God. And I believe this outline is very clear in itself. I don't need to say too much. A, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, it is the world that is reconciled to God. But in verse 20, it is the believers who have already been reconciled to God and are to be reconciled further to God. So here we have these two verses, the world and the believers. B, the first step of reconciliation is to reconcile sinners to God from sin. And I just pause here to just ask you to consider is there anyone you know, a member of your family, maybe even perhaps one of your children, or a neighbor, or a colleague at work, or someone you know at school, you realize they have not been reconciled to God from their sins. then we should have a heart for them and realize, get ready for this. We can be, and even we must be, those who have the ministry of reconciliation. Surely every one of you can reconcile in Christ a sinner to God. One, for this purpose, Christ died for our sins that they might be forgiven by God. The righteous requirements of God had to be fulfilled. The righteous requirement was sinners must die. That is the penalty. That is the righteous judgment. But Christ died in our place, bore our sins, so that God has the ground to forgive us 
our sins. And this basic truth is so wonderful. When God forgives, he forgets. Two, this is the objective aspect of Christ's death. In this aspect, he bore our sins on the cross that they might be judged by God upon him for us. What a marvelous, wonderful Christ we have. He took all of our sins on his body and died in our place. Now God, being righteous, must forgive us our sins when we believe in Christ, his Son, who died for us. So simple, so clear. Praise the Lord for this first step. But this entire conference is going to focus on the second step. Because the meetings of this conference are not basically gospel meetings for unbelievers. These are ministry meetings for the dear beloved saints in churches throughout Brazil. And maybe anywhere where Portuguese is spoken. See, the second step of reconciliation is to reconcile believers living in the natural life to God from the flesh. The only God knows how many genuine believers there are on the earth. Surely there must be many, many millions. Their sins have been forgiven. They've been reconciled to God in the first step. But how many are still living in the natural life? That is from the flesh. Maybe 99.99% as an illustration. And this includes us. So we need to be clear about all these subpoints. For this purpose, Christ died for us, the persons, that we might live to him in the resurrection life. And those verses there, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, are precious. You see, brothers and sisters, on the one hand, Christ died for our sins. On the other hand, Christ died for us. Because we, that is the us, are the problem. Our fallen being is a problem. When we live in our fallen being, we are living at that time 
as enemies. So, like Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Romans 6.6 says, Do you not know that our old man was crucified with him? This fallen old man that does not live in oneness with God must be terminated so we can say with Paul, it is no longer I that live. It is Christ who lives in me. And now I live in him. I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. I'm part of the new man. And the more I let him live in me, the more I will be reconciled to God. Two, this is the subjective aspect of Christ's death. Subjective here means this involves our inner being, our person, our mind, emotion, and will, our spirit, soul, and body, our whole heart. There are elements in there that are contrary to God, that are enemies of God. They need to be terminated by the cross so that Christ may make his home in us and bring us into God. In this aspect, I continue point two, in this aspect, he was made sin for us to be judged and done away with by God that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become, this is subjective, this is our being. We are not only declared righteous in Christ before God, that's what we call justification, approved by God according to his righteousness. Now, we are becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. This is the ministry of righteousness to open the way for us to experience Christ as the life-giving spirit saturating us. And then this one who is saturating us becomes the righteousness in us and makes us righteousness so that as we live, we express him in his righteousness. Three, in the objective aspect of his death, Christ bore our sins. In the subjective aspect, he became sin. Four, because we are still separated from God and because we are not fully one with God and altogether in harmony with him, we need the second step of reconciliation. Okay, this is a key point here. I want to reread it. And I hope inwardly you can just be saying inwardly, Amen, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because we are still separated from God. Is this not true? 
that in certain ways, in our mind, emotion, and will, we're separated from God in our living. And because we are not fully one with God, is in this our situation, all of us. We are becoming one with him. He is making us one with him. But I cannot say I am not yet fully one with God. I believe I can say sincerely before the Lord's face, I am more one with God now than I was five years ago. But I'm still on the way. And we are not yet altogether in harmony with him. Certain things we say and do and think and feel are not in harmony with him. God thinks this way, we think that way. God feels this, we feel that. God wants to say this, but instead we say this. So we all need the ministry of reconciliation. We need the second step of reconciliation. And even now, inwardly, I just sense my spirit is praying for you and for me, but honestly, for you especially. We're not talking theory here. I'm not just giving you theology and doctrine here. I'm burdened for you out of love. For the Lord to make himself one with you more this year. Make you more one with him this year. Day by day. But on our part, we need to sense the need. Often I've learned in caring for people in coordination with those that are doctors and others. We have learned, I have learned, one of the most difficult matters is when someone will not admit they have a need. Oh, no, no, no. I don't have that. I don't need that. Everything is fine. But we know everything is not fine. So they're not willing to be helped because they don't believe they need help. It is a mercy, even a blessing, my dear brothers and sisters, to be enlightened by God concerning our need. And then we just come to him with our need. And we open to him more than ever before. Then he works to reconcile us more and more in the second step. Five. The subjective aspect of the death of Christ needs to be applied to our situation and to our natural life. Yes, we were crucified with Christ. I gave the verse. Our old man was crucified with him. I mentioned that verse. But now the eternal spirit through whom Christ offered himself to God must apply the death of Christ to our situation 
and to our natural life. Lord, we open to you. Apply, apply your death on the Christ, on the cross, the death on the cross to our situation. Lord, I say yes, apply this to my natural life. A, in order that we may be reconciled to God in full, the Father exposes our natural life and unveils our real situation to us. In, uh, in married life, according to Ephesians 5, a life in love and light, we can be fully open to just one other person, our spouse, And oh, how the wise father exposes our natural life and our real situation to us. Are you willing for this, for the father to do this? The father's motive in doing this is love for you. He wants his children to mature. He wants all of his children to be fully one with him and even in him, in his son. Please let the Father do this. It's the enemy who fears this. He fears being exposed. And he fears having our real situation unveiled to us. One in parentheses, as a result, we condemn our natural being and apply the cross subjectively. And this application of the death of Christ crucifies our natural life. So once the light comes, then we spontaneously, we condemn it. Lord, that is the flesh. That's myself. That's my natural life, my natural constitution. I agree with you. I condemn that. I hate that. I judge that. I don't want to live in that realm. Lord, come in. Make your home in me. Two in parentheses. As our natural man is crossed out, we experience the second step of reconciliation. Okay, what is needed, of course, this this is universal, but now I'm addressing the continent of South America. Every Christian, a genuine believer in South America, needs to experience the second step of reconciliation. Very, very few of these dear believers know this truth. But in the Lord's recovery, we are blessed with such a ministry and the full unveiling of the truth in the word. And so, we realize this. We can tell the Lord, we can agree with the Lord, My natural man needs to be crossed out. Then we are reconciled more. In this way, 
The veil of our natural man is rent so that we may live in God's presence. We'll come back to this. It's referring to the symbol of the veil in the temple. That when Christ died, it was torn from top to bottom. That veil signifies the flesh. And so we need the veil of the flesh and of our natural life to be rent, to be torn, broken from top to bottom. Then little b, instead of taking place once for all, the second step of reconciliation is continuous. This is the way of life, the organic way, the intrinsic way, the essential way, is step by step, little by little. The wise God will determine the pace, the order of things, the sequence. On our part, mainly, our need is to be open and willing. Will you take this way? My dear brothers and sisters, when I say my dear brothers and sisters, I mean you are dear. I'm just Ron, your brother. Nothing more, nothing less. Your brother. Caring for you through the Lord who cares for us. That we would all be in this process of reconciliation in the second step. And finally, D, by the two aspects of his death, Christ fully reconciles God's chosen people to God. Fully reconciled. One characteristic of God is that he is thorough. And what he begins, he will complete to the uttermost. And I use the word uttermost with care. He's thorough. There is no doubt this will happen to every believer. But we have the choice of being fully reconciled now while we're still on earth in this age so that we might be numbered among the overcomers and the victors who reign with Christ in the kingdom and who are his bride, his counterpart. But if we neglect this willfully or those dear ones who just never heard the truth, then they will be fully reconciled later. But the Lord is, on the one hand, blessing us by giving us all the opportunity to be gradually fully reconciled to God in the second step while we are living on earth. But also, now that we are learning this, we have some responsibility because of the truth. So may the Lord have mercy on us and supply us with grace so that we all personally can turn to him and say, Lord, I want to be fully reconciled to God now 
and hear. Lord, do it in your way and in your time. I believe in you. I love you. I open to you. Amen.